When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, it's Hamish from the Young Investors Podcast. Myself and Brandon are excited to bring you your weekly rundown of the latest business and investing news from around the world. A quick reminder before we get started, any advice provided by Brandon is general and does not consider your financial situation, needs or objectives, so consider whether it's appropriate for you. Brandon Vanderkolk is authorized to provide general financial product advice in Australia and is authorized representative number 1305795 of Guideway Financial Services Proprietary Limited. Limited, AFSL number 420367. Please see the description box for Brandon's financial services guide. Past performance is not a reliable indication of future investment returns. But with that said, let's get into another episode of the Young Investors Podcast. All right. Welcome back, everybody. Episode 266. I'm joined by Brandon, hello, hello, who's hello. just come back from his lovely cruise. How was it? First, first cruise ever? It was fantastic. Do I, do I look like I've got a bit of a tan? Do I look uh, a little bit, little yeah. bit more sun? Yeah. Yeah, you look so tanned. <laughs> you look so tanned. <laughs> Thank you, Matt. Yeah, went on a Virgin Voyages ship. Uh, we went on Resilient Lady, left from Melbourne. We went to Sydney. Then we sailed to Hobart and then back to Melbourne. So it was pretty good, actually. Really, yeah. really nice ship. Um, you know, the only, it was a bit different to some of the other ones I've been on. So all your soft drinks and your juices and stuff, that's all included. Obviously, unlimited food. The boat's mm. really nice. You play basketball. You can go lie in the sun. You can go in the pool. You can do all sorts of stuff. Go play bingo. Mm. You know, it's, <laughs> it's good fun. It's good fun. Yeah. I had a really good time. The the, um, the food on those cruises is always so good. Like, the, there's just always massive buffets and just unlimited yeah. choice. It's, that's really nice. I, I apparently, I was talking to someone. Apparently, people gain about one to one and a half kilos per week on a cruise boat. <laughs> Jeez. How ins- I, I'm oh. honestly not surprised, though. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just stack your it's plate. It's good, though. Like, yeah, I, you could just stack You can stack 15 plates, but it's great. I like to go to the gym. There wasn't that many people in the gym, that's for sure. They're all out next to the pool. I just got the run of the gym to myself <laughs> most nights, which is great. That's awesome. Yeah. No, it was good. All right, dude. We have some news to get through. It is we do. peak earnings season right now. It is. Um, I'm going to be talking about Disney shares. Um, at Disney earnings. You're going to be talking about Starbucks. We've got some China deflation news to talk about. We've got some Novo Nordisk stuff to talk about, the makers of Wagovi and Azempic. So we've got a big episode. So with that said, yeah, over to you, sir. Yeah. Today's episode is brought to you by Seeking Alpha, your one-stop shop for stock analysis, market data, and news. Access expert analysis and news for thousands of stocks. View buy, hold, and sell ratings from members, Wall Street analysts, and Seeking Alpha's own algorithm. Screen for stocks using a variety of fundamental and technical analysis metrics, access 10 years of financial data and company filings, and manage your portfolio by tracking your investments with price alerts so you never miss a buying opportunity again. Click the link in the episode description or head directly to seekingalpha.me forward slash young investors to try Seeking Alpha free for seven days. And as always, thanks to those who have used that link when signing up and are supporting the podcast. Do you want to start with uh, let's start with uh, let's start with Disney? Take it take us through Disney. What's going let's on start. over there? I think they had a pretty good uh, yeah. earnings release. I, I looked at it a couple they of days did. ago. Well, I think 
That's correct. The headline is Disney shares notch best day in more than three years after earnings bonanza. Wow. It's a bonanza, Hamish. <laughs> and let me tell you about it. So before, actually, before I tell you about it, to understand Disney, you have to remember they have three segments, three revenue segments. So they've got their now, well, it used to be different, but now it's three. They've got mm. their entertainment business. Then they've got their sports business. And then they've got their experiences business, which is their cruise line, their theme parks, their hotels, that kind of stuff. Um, so that's that's the first thing to understand. That'll become relevant in a second. So overall revenue was flat. Uh, so we're t- talking about Q1 2024 earnings for Disney, which, Hamish Hotter, oh, no. ended on the 31st of December, tw- the, the, yeah, 31st of December 2023, um, just, to, uh, just to confuse you a little bit. So revenue year over year was uh, flat, but they did have a 27% increase in total operating income. So up $833 million for their operating income. And that came down predominantly to their experiences business, making a little bit more money from $2.9 billion to $3.1 billion. Um, and that was as, as a result of the Disney Cruise Line increasing the average ticket price and the number of cruise days. It also came down to their sports business losing a little bit less money, so only down $103 million versus $164 million in Q4 of 2022. But... Hey, Michotta, it was also thanks to a rebound in their entertainment business from $345 million in operating income to $874 million, which notably encompasses their direct-to-consumer business, which you know a lot about, their streaming business. Um, so when we look, so now we'll zoom in just on that entertainment section. And when we look within that segment, uh, while linear networks revenue declined 12% and content sales and licensing revenue declined 38% year over year, direct to consumer revenue actually rose 15%. And when you look to operating income, direct to consumer actually improved quite substantially. So in Q4 2022, losses were uh, $984 million for the quarter out of direct to consumers. They <laughs> lost almost a billion bucks in a quarter from direct to consumer. Um, so g- safe to say they were bleeding. They yes. were bleeding cash. Not good. Um yeah, and to be fair, to be expected, they did warn us that this was going to happen and that uh, direct-to-consumer would not be profitable for quite a while. Uh, but now they've closed that down to just uh, $138 million loss, which technically is an 86% improvement. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so they, they note that this was uh, a result of a few factors, Hamish, which you mm. always like to look at. Uh, an increase in pricing. Uh, increased advertising revenue from higher impressions and a a decrease in programming and production costs. But Mm. interestingly, they also noted that there was a fourth reason uh, for this improvement in results. And they noted that the fourth reason was uh, increased subscriber growth. Mm. (laughs) But then I looked at their numbers and they did not grow subscribers. Yeah, I I, I saw that Uh, in their report and I was like, hang on a second, that's not right. (laughs) That's not right. Um, but yeah, it is interesting because yeah, I think they were, they were pretty flat right on their on, on their actual sub numbers, but they were able to I think in the US in particular raise their prices quite considerably and and um, mm. yeah, they're they're inching closer towards profitability, which is which is good to see. Yeah, mm. yeah. So let's uh, with that said, let's talk about their subscribers um, because they do talk at length about that in their earnings release. So uh, paid subscribers. 
for Disney um, to- Disney Plus. They call it Disney Plus Core. So just looking at Disney Plus both domestically and internationally, which is internationally excluding Disney Plus Hotstar, which is in India. Um, so they came in, they closed the uh, the December quarter. I want to call it the fourth quarter, but no, for Disney, it's the first quarter, apparently. <laughs> um, they came in with a th- uh, 111.3 million subscribers, and that was down 1% from the 112.6 million that they had at the end of the September quarter last year. So pretty flat, losing a couple of subscribers here and there. Um, they did gain 2% uh, for Disney Plus Hotstar in India, uh, 37.6 million up to now 38.3 million. And then if we look at Hulu, which is their other streaming service, uh, they went from 48.5 million subscribers in the September quarter to 49.7 million in the December quarter, so up 2% there. So hmm. generally speaking, what what did Netflix post? Is like some ridiculous subscriber growth, didn't they? Uh, but yeah, I think it was... Ooh, Disney not quite uh, keeping up. I'm not up. sure off the, top of, off the top of my head. I think it was maybe like 8 million. It was, it was or, impressive. Or, yeah, it was between like 8 and 12 million, I think, something like that. Um, yeah. So, so yeah. more impressive than Disney's subscriber growth, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, and, and growing the number of subscribers has been a difficult patch for the, all of the companies for the last couple of years. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's especially as I think there's been more competition. Um, it, it seems like a lot of these media companies are now turning to price increases and cutting their content spend as a means to reach profitability rather than just kind of scaling the the, the number of subscribers. So. Um, that's certainly mm. what what Disney's been been trying to do. Yep. And talking about um, raising prices, we can look at their average monthly revenue per paid subscriber. So, average monthly revenue for Disney Plus, Disney Plus Core, uh, went from six dollars and seventy cents um, in the September quarter two thousand twenty three to six dollars and eighty four cents in the December quarter, 2023. So a rise of 2%. But what what is really interesting, right? So that's that's Disney Plus, you know, domestically, internationally. Domestically in the US and Canada, it's actually $8.15 average revenue per paid subscriber, whereas internationally it's $5.91. So it is cheaper internationally. But what I found crazy was when you drop down and look at Disney Plus Hotstar, the average revenue per paid subscriber. Now, for context, actually, this is this is not con- this is without context. <laughs> uh, Disney Plus Hotstar av- average revenue per uh, user grew eighty three percent quarter over quarter. <laughs> Whoa, eighty three percent. They're getting they're milking them yeah. they're milking them a lot more. But mm. that was from uh, seventy cents mm. to a dollar twenty eight. Yeah. So average revenue. Per paid average monthly revenue per paid subscriber in for Disney Plus Hotstar a dollar twenty eight versus domestic Disney Plus eight dollars and fifteen cents. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's why kind of total sub numbers is so irrelevant. It's ridiculous that the media focuses on oh my god they added ten million subscribers here and there because they're all different of, of different value. I think yeah, like I mean more than half of Div- Disney Plus core subscribers are. Actually, no, sorry. Hot, yeah, so they have 40 million Disney Plus Hotstar um, subscribers, yep. which is a big chunk of their overall base. So, And, and, and yeah, they're, they're a fraction, what, an eighth of the value of their US um, of sub subscribers. So, yeah, just, just looking at sub numbers alone is kind of 
irrelevant at this point. Um, every <laughs> yeah. platform has their own yeah. pricing and each country has their own pricing. So yeah, it's kind of silly. Yep. So there you go, Hamish. Um, the only other thing I had to add there um, is that Hulu um, Hulu pricing went up 1% for just SVOD only. And if you add line uh, live TV, rather, um, they have a 4% increase in pricing. Mm. Yep. Um, but there you go. Yeah. Um, it, I have a little bit of stuff from the... Sorry, yeah. All I was going to say is it'll be interesting to see how their kind of sub numbers do trend over time because for Netflix, at least, the way they've been able to scale their sub numbers has been increasing content spend. And we're now seeing a lot of companies pull back on content spend and raise prices. So it's it'll be interesting to see over the next couple of years, like let's say in the US, they've got 46 million uh, US and Canada subscribers. I think Netflix has like 78 million. Will they be able to see that rise to, you know, 60, 70 million subscribers without increasing content spend? Um, or will they have to, you know, go back into maybe burning a little bit more cash to, to reignite the ultimate engine, which is how many people they have? Because, you know, if you have more subscribers, then those incremental price increases are much more meaningful than doing it on a smaller sub base. So that'll be something that I'll be interested to watch. Yeah, for sure. For sure. That was the classic tactic. Like Disney Plus, new player in town, they had uh, very, very low pricing because they were just focused on subs in the door. Yeah. And now they feel as though they've got subs in the door and now there's a bit more pressure. Oh, profitability, please. And then all of a sudden they're like, okay, we just got to jack up prices, which lowers the sub growth, but makes them more money. You're right. That's that's the ultimate ultimate equation Hmm. for these streaming services is finding that right mix um, between sub growth and uh, revenue generation. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Um, all right, let's talk about the earnings call as well. There's only a few points that I wanted to, to touch on. Um, Bob Iger hopped on the call. He noted that ESPN channels will now be available uh, direct to consumer in a joint venture between Fox and Warner Brothers Discovery to create. They're going to create a new streaming sports service launching in fall. So this brings together content from all three, um, all three. I want to say manufacturers. That's not the right <laughs> word. All three companies, <laughs> and we manufacture sports content. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Scripted content. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so that will be interesting. And then they've also, Bob Iger also noted the fall 2025, they'll offer ESPN as a standalone streaming option. Um, probably the biggest uh, breaking news from their um, earnings call was they're taking a $1.5 billion equity stake in Epic Games to collaborate on Fortnite and bring Disney wow. into that game. So Iger noted that they'll work together with Epic to create new games using Disney's intellectual property, including Disney, Pixar, Marvel, Star Wars, and Avatar, that will live alongside Fortnite but will be completely interconnected with Fortnite. Right. So I don't know what he's saying. It's a new version of Fortnite. It's a Disney version of Fortnite. Who knows? I, yeah. I have no idea. That's um. Yeah, I actually hadn't. I, I didn't see that yet. So that, that's uh, that's really yeah. fascinating to to see. Um, yeah, the biggest foray into video games ever. 
Yeah, wow. That's that's crazy. Yeah, it, uh, do, do we know how much money... I don't think we know how much money Fortnite actually makes. Like, I don't think there's, there's official numbers on that, right? But it must be bringing in an know. enormous amount of money. Um, and they've certainly pioneered a, 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 a very, very successful model in the gaming space, which is kind of a free game. And then, you know, you, people spend money on skins and, and, and battle passes and that mm. sort of thing. Um fascinating shift in yeah, the, I don't in think the we've gaming got, space. I don't think we've got actual numbers. I'm just doing a quick Google. It says Fortnite has generated revenue of over $26 billion to date. Out wow. of this, over $6 billion worth of revenue came in 2022. Wow. That's so, but it's it, it's still, I, I don't know how, uh, how reliable that data is because yeah. that is not from an official source, but that's just a quick Google. But it's a lot of money, Hamish. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. They make a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, that'll be very interesting to see. I mean, this will take a long time, no doubt, to see what they come up with. Um, don't expect that to have any meaningful impact to anyone anytime soon. Uh, they also announced that uh, they that Disney Plus will stream an exclusive version of Taylor Swift's The Eras Tour, uh, the movie on Disney Plus, uh, and they'll also release a uh, sequel to Moana later this year. Um, and yeah. after all of that. Disney stock jumped eleven percent, Hamish. So quite, quite it a jump. Eleven percent, actually. Wow, that's yeah, that's crazy. Quite, a, quite impressed. Wow. Quite impressed with the earnings. There you go. Um, but there you go. That's Disney earnings, my friend. That is go. Disney earnings. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Where should um, we go next? Yeah, let's take a look. Let's stay in earnings. Let's take a look at Starbucks. Which, um, admittedly, I haven't uh, looked at Starbucks earnings in a few quarters. Um, we we used to cover them fairly frequently um, on, on the podcast, but I think we've kind of missed a few of their quarters. But uh, I thought I'd take a, a look at them. Uh, they essentially, so basically they posted a fairly a fairly difficult earnings result. Um, the company is kind of facing a couple of, I don't know, I guess you would probably consider them fairly short-term problems, but fairly interesting problems in some of their major markets. Um, so they had kind of a mixed result. Uh, net sales reached $9.43 billion, which was up 8% year over year. So overall sales continued to grow at a fairly uh, impressive rate. Uh, when it comes to Starbucks, their sales are driven really by two main things. One is the increase in revenue at their existing stores, which is called uh, same-store sales growth, uh, and then opening more new stores. Uh, so global same-store sales growth came in at 5%, so um, they've been able to uh, raise prices and see increases in traffic at uh, at their global stores. Uh, also in North America, which is obviously their biggest market, uh, same store sales grew also by 5%. Uh, they did note that US traffic slowed. So the same store sales growth in North America has been pretty much all just price increases, um, which you know makes sense. There's been a fair, fair bit of inflation recently. So um, and I think the, the price of coffee has been one of those... Uh, commodities that's seen massive increases so it makes sense that they're kind of pushing those prices mm. through uh they did note that uh, i saw something about that recently actually that the price of coffee is just going through the roof yeah i again i haven't looked at it recently but um i know that's been the case for like the last 18 months or so there was you know a massive uh, increase in the in the cost of um uh in the the coffee supply chain so um mm. yeah it's obviously a fairly important uh, component of uh, starbucks's business um but they, they did note in the U.S., uh, the U.S. traffic st- has started to slow down um, starting in uh, mid-November. Um, management said they're facing a boycott due to misperceptions around the company's position on the Israel-Palestine war. Uh, and apparently this all started in November 
when the Starbucks Workers United, which is their union, uh, posted in support of Palestine, leading to a boycott from conservatives. So management mentioned this. So apparently it's had an actual meaningful impact on their traffic of their US stores, which is interesting because... You know, obviously there's kind of boycotts that, you know, all, all these, these you, you get hear these boycotts on social media, but um, you never typically expect them to have any kind of meaningful impact on a big corporation like Starbucks, for example, on a widespread basis. But they did actually note it that their US traffic is slowing. So it seems like it's actually um, kind of had a, a somewhat of a, a meaningful impact. Um, so that was kind of their major yeah. short-term problem that they're, they, they kind of mentioned in, in the US. Uh, and then they also uh, mentioned China. So Starbucks is also having uh, some problems with their China operations. China is now their second largest market, which is kind of crazy because it wasn't actually all that long ago that they, it's only a few years ago where they started to move into China, but they've been uh, expanding over there at a rapid pace. I think over 60%, I believe now of their stores are now US and China combined. So it's, you know, it's a, it's a massive part of Starbucks business. Wow. Uh their same store sales growth was plus 10%. So uh, even though it is their second biggest market, it's, it's a very fast growing market for them. Uh, however, their average ticket price fell 9%. Um, so what does that mean? Well, it means they're seeing big increases in traffic. So they're setting up these new stores and there's obviously these this big growth of, of people kind of um, discovering Starbucks in China and going to those stores. But prices have been falling a lot. Um, so they've been having to drop their prices, especially as they try and compete against their other coffee competitors. Luckin Coffee is kind of one of their, uh, biggest competitors in China. Uh, and they typically offer quite considerably lower prices than Starbucks. It's generally, um, kind of a discount coffee chain. So in order to compete, they've been basically forced to, to lower their prices. Um, so that's kind of an interesting element just happening, um, in China, you've kind of got everywhere else in the world, especially their Western markets, prices are going up a lot as a part of this like kind of broad mm. cost of living crisis. And uh, in China, it's the complete opposite. You've got prices going down. It you've is. kind of got deflation going on in China at the moment, which we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about as well um, later. Yeah, that's interesting. It's, <clears throat> uh, it's a common theme. I mean, I was just looking at Tesla the other day. Tesla are facing the exact same thing over in China, having to cut their prices of their cars. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's definitely, uh, prices definitely, as you say, definitely trending the opposite direction in China to what they are in most parts of the rest of the world. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I, I noted these issues, but they, they tend, they, they seem to be fairly, you know, short-term problems, generally speaking. I mean, maybe the, the China issues may be a little bit more, um, a little bit more entrenched, but, uh, you know, certainly the boycott is, is something that's just kind of a, an effect that's happening right now. Um, overall, the company, it's still impressive that at their scale, they're continuing to see, you know, 8% top line growth for a company as big as they are is, is incredibly impressive. Uh, they opened net 550 new stores, bringing their total to just under 40,000 stores <laughs> total. So they have 38,587 wow. uh, stores, which is um, obviously an insane figure. About half of them, or I think exactly half of them are franchise and half of them are company owned. Um Right. So they've got this interesting uh, mix model, um, whereas McDonald's, yeah. for example, is kind of pushing towards um, completely franchised. Um, so, yeah, yeah 40,000 stores. <laughs> it's an insane that figure. Is my, that's so many. 
Yeah. That's a ridiculous number. I wonder if they're more... Are they just company-owned in China? I would imagine so. Uh, I don't really I know. Don't, I don't know. I, I, I don't know, to be honest. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure. But still, 38,587 stores total. That's a lot of stores. Yep. That's a flipping lot of stores. Yep, it is. And uh, yeah, overall, they produced uh, $1.5 billion in operating income uh, during the quarter, which was a 25% increase from the previous quarter. So... Yeah, it's crazy wow. that uh, yeah, even at their scale, they're finding new markets uh, to to move into and uh, ways to increase prices and cut costs and and yeah, still grow at double digits. So yeah, very impressive. Is that all we have for Starbucks? That's it. That's all we got. All right. Well, I'm going to move on into uh, a little bit about Novo Nordisk, of course, mm. the makers of Azempic and Wagovi. The uh, well, Azempic started out as a, a type two diabetes medication, and, <laughs> and people jabbing it in and figuring out, hey, I'm losing weight. <laughs> now, all of, a, all of a sudden, it's the the biggest craze in global weight loss. Yeah. Um, but they have actually since created Wagovi, which is another drug that they, uh, which is actually designed and can be marketed for weight loss, but it's still semaglutide. Uh, anyway, that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about Novo Nordisk announcing an $11 billion deal to expand production capacity. So on Monday, the Danish pharma firm behind Wagovi and Azempic announced an $11 billion deal to significantly expand production capacity for its blockbuster weight loss drugs. Success of Wagovi and Azempic made Novo Nordisk the biggest company in Europe last year, overtaking Louis Vuitton, actually. Um, and last week, it announced a better-than-expected earnings for 2023, with operating profit up 37% in Danish krona, and its sales projections for 2024 showing another revenue increase of up to 24%. Uh, it was enough to send its market cap to over $500 billion. So, pretty insane. However, there is one thing holding them back and has been holding them back over the last uh, year or so is that with the newfound success of these drugs, not so much for uh, you know type 2 diabetes, we don't care about that, but for weight loss, uh, all of a sudden, everybody, they want them. They want them, <laughs> Hamish. So, demand has been Shocker. very, very high. Supply has been very, very low. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it notes here, Novo Nordisk also warned of supply chain's constraints, strangling the company's ability to keep up with soaring demand. So, uh, on Monday, Novo showed it's ready to throw its prodigious new weight around. So, get this, Hamish. This takes a bit of thinking. In a three-way transaction... Novo Holdings, which is Novo Nordisk's controlling shareholder, is purchasing US drug maker Catalent for $16.5 billion. So Novo Holdings is then selling three of Catalent's manufacturing sites, one in Italy, one in Belgium, and one in Indiana, to Novo Nordisk for $11 billion. Right. Okay. Did I lose you? Yeah. Makes sense. That <laughs> uh, took me a little second to wrap my head around. Um, <clears throat> but Novo Nordisk had already contracted part of Wagovi's production process to Catalent, uh, which is known for its role in fill finish operations in the final stages of manufacturing for injectables such as Wagovi. Uh, the company had previously contributed to COVID vaccine manufacturing for Moderna, AstraZeneca, and Johnson & Johnson. Hmm. So it sounds as though Novo Nordisk uh, essentially now not just working with Catalent, but 
they're buying them and they're using those three um, those three manufacturing facilities to right. hopefully pump out more Azempic and Wagovi. Crazy. Because <laughs> they need yeah. to. Because it is in hot demand. Yeah, it's not, a, it's not a bad problem to have, having a demand that's outstripping yeah. your ability to supply. So. <laughs> um, Imagine the board meeting when they're like, hmm, this drug causes weight loss. Wait, how many people in the world are fat? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just the just the the board meeting, just the board's eyes, just going ching ching yeah, dollar yeah. signs in their eyes. Yeah. Uh, but there you go. So yes, uh, Novo Nordisk said it expects the deal to be completed by the end of the year, and the additional manufacturing prowess to help expand its production capabilities by 2026. So it's going to take a little while, um, but they are they are desperate to make more of these drugs because a lot of people want them. A lot of people want them. Yeah, fascinating. Yeah, it's yeah. A, that's a, it's such yeah. a fascinating story, um, Novo Nordisk. Uh, you did a really good like overall video breakdown of that. Um, can't remember when you did that middle of last year or something. Yeah, I'm just buttering you yes. up. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Thank you, man. But Thank uh, you. yeah, if, any, if anyone, what wants did you to... like most about it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah no. No, if, any, if anyone wants uh, to uh, see that, yeah, go check it out. Um, it's a good video. Thank you, man. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah, it was an interesting story. I always like those ones where it's it's not so much just run of the mill news, but it's something that's actually like a little bit out there and a little bit interesting. Mm. Um, it was a big story, something just really odd in the in the finance world. Yeah. All right, Hamish, tell us about China. Yeah, What's sp- going on? Speaking in China? of uh, yeah, speaking of big stories, uh, China is uh, yeah, as we kind of just alluded to with the uh, with, with the with the Starbucks story. Um, yeah, China's facing a fairly different uh, a pricing situation than a lot of other countries, especially probably where uh, most listeners are, um, whether you're in the US or in Australia, we've kind of seen massive increases in, in pricing. Um, and China is, is facing the complete opposite. Their prices are going down. Um, so we got their January uh, consumer price report that just came out. Uh, consumer prices fell 0.8%. Uh, year over year to the uh, to the end of uh, January, which uh, represents the fourth consecutive uh, fall, monthly fall in prices, and the steepest pace in fourteen years uh, since uh, since wow. two thousand and nine. So, uh, yeah, they, they've they've kind of had this, you know, moderately. Uh, fa- they've been in deflation for the last couple of months, but it's been fairly low. It was like 03 percent, point five percent, but it has now accelerated out to point eight percent, which does seem to suggest that. Um, uh, at least for now, it's continuing to worsen. Um, there's a lot of kind of uh, economic kind of things going on in China that you could relate back to the ultimate result of having deflation. But probably the main uh, the, the main thing that's been happening is, of course, their property collapse. Um, they've had this kind of massive oversupply of apartments. They had stricter lending regulations, which went through in 2021. You had all of these over-leveraged developers, Evergrande being the big one. Um, that had, I think, 300 billion in in liabilities or something when they ultimately collapsed, and they just recently um, fully went into default, I think, or, or into bankruptcy. Um, there was, there's been more than 50 uh, property developers that have uh, de- uh, gone into default since 2021. So um, they've just wow. had a, a crippling uh, property market collapse, um, and that's fairly meaningful for a country uh, like China where 30% of their GDP is the real estate market and 70% of household wealth is in property. So uh, particularly for consumers, for everyday people in China, 
um, uh, property has been kind of a central part, like it is here in Australia, actually, as well, a central part of their wealth. Uh, and as this collapse, collapse has happened and uh, prices have come down, it's kind of had this reverse wealth effect where um, you know, household wealth has just gone down a lot. Um, and uh, the result of that is, of course, uh, Chinese consumers have been uh, wanting to be a little bit more cautious um, about how they spend money. And when consumers pull back on spending, businesses generally scramble to lower prices. Um, they, you know, especially when it happens quite rapidly, businesses have too much inventory. They've kind of got this, you know, all their supply chains built up and they've got to get rid of this inventory or else it's going to cost them too much money. So they end up lowering prices. Um, and that's exactly what's been happening. Um, mm. And uh, yeah. To- it's crazy, actually. Yeah. Sorry. No, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, it's crazy. I've actually heard a lot of people as well saying like online, I've made a couple of Instagram reels and TikToks and stuff. A lot of people are commenting saying, um, but hang on, isn't this a good thing? Like for for (laughs) consumers, isn't deflation like the best thing ever? Things just get cheaper. Yeah, I guess you could make that argument from purely a consumer standpoint. Deflation is great. It makes stuff cheaper. But the main worrying factor is the cycle that it makes. Because as Warren Buffett says, in economics, you can't just have one thing. You have to ask, and then what? Yeah. So typically what happens if you have a lot of deflation, that's less demand. It means that companies aren't going to be producing as much. It means that they don't need as many workers. It means that there's layoffs. It means that the unemployment rate goes up. That tightens spending even more. People spend even less, which contributes to even less demand. And that that just yeah. works in a cycle. So yeah. while you're right, I mean, as if, if I just wanted to buy a car and that's all I wanted to do, I would say bring on deflation. Yes, please. <laughs> yeah. In, in the broader scheme of the economy, in the same way that we don't really like a lot of inflation, we also don't like deflation. Um, different problems, but um, they all have flow-on effects into, uh, yeah, and, and, and cycles, which if left unchecked can get worse and worse. Yeah, yeah, we, we, we actually like, you know, inflation gets a, <laughs> recently, certainly it's had a bad rap, but we actually like a bit of inflation because it a bit of inflation- Just a little. Just a little bit, because a bit of inflation means your wages are hopefully going up fairly consistently at one, two, three percent. And and it means that, you know, if prices are going to be consistently going up, you you know, it, it incentivizes people to spend money, which which drives the economy. So a little bit of inflation is yeah. actually a good thing. And and yeah, you, you're, spot, you're spot on. Yeah. The, the deflationary cycle can be- actually a very difficult one to to, to get out of. A um, mm. couple of the details around there, uh, j- just to finish this story up, a couple of the details around their deflation. Uh, services prices still rose uh, 0.5% annually. So services have kind of been able to uh, stay fairly steady, although that has come down as well. It's all in the goods. Uh, so goods prices fell right. uh, 1.7%. Goods have been in deflation since April of 2023. So um, for you know, quite a considerable wow. time, um, and then again, as always with inflation or deflation, if you look at some of the specific numbers, obviously it varies considerably. The price of pork, which is a staple in the Chinese diet, uh, is down seventeen percent year over year. So that kind of just shows, um, uh, you know, one aspect yeah. of of, uh, of how consumers are pulling back and businesses being forced to to lower prices. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Lots of deflation. Stop it. But that's the thing. I mean, uh, this is why the CCP has copped a lot of criticism is that they have, well, you know, we're, 
where raising rates, they have the potential to lower interest rates and stimulate the economy. And as of right now, they are yet to take really significant action uh, in in that realm, which is leaving a lot of economists kind of a little bit puzzled. But um, it seems like the general consensus is that the CCP will probably look to provide some sort of market stimulus so that they don't get trapped in this economic cycle of deflation, yep. um, which can be so destructive. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. All right. All right. Well, is that it? Yeah. Well, with that said, thanks everyone for tuning in to today's episode. Um, as always, if you have any feedback, we're, we're always welcoming feedback. So head over to the YouTube version of the podcast or just leave your feedback uh, directly in Spotify if you're listening on Spotify or watching on Spotify. And uh, yeah, with that yeah. said, thanks for tuning in. Thanks, Brandon, for joining me as always. And thanks, Seeking Alpha, oh, for sponsoring. SeekingAlpha.me forward slash young investors to try Seeking Alpha free for seven days. And with that said, we'll see you guys in the next episode. See you later, guys. See you later. See you later.